Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. These are the words of the Lord. Father, I thank you so much that you sent your only Son, and that Jesus, you spent three years of your life with John. And John listened to these words, and through your Holy Spirit, wrote them down for us today. These words talk about troubled hearts. Father, it's exciting to see new people become part of a church family, but many of us are struggling with a restless heart. We need good news. Send your Holy Spirit so that your word would be our rule that Jesus would be our Savior. We would see his beauty today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, with your Bibles open, please be seated. I hope that you had a chance, if you're a visitor, to get one of the Bibles that we give out. As I preach and as Daryl preaches, we want you to interact with that Bible. We put things on the screen so you interact, but bring a pen, circle things, underline things. Wrestle with the Scripture. We want you to enter it and let it enter you. The question I'd like to start with today is this. What troubles your heart? What troubles your heart? We've met this word before, and we've talked about the Greek word is this image of a horse. Horses are very social, but when they get threatened that fight-or-flight response, they want to run. Troubled is an incredibly powerful, extreme emotion. It's when you are in extreme distress because your trust is threatened. Your trust is threatened. The horse rears up the legs because the horse is getting ready to get out of there. What troubles your heart? And remember, Christianity addresses the heart. Because it's the heart that some have called the fulcrum of faith. 
believe, believe, believe. It's all over the book of John. When our hearts get troubled, it's when the very nerve endings of our soul are raw. And we wince because what we trust starts to shake. Your faith footing, if you will, that fixed point of your faith is pulled out from underneath you. Imagine the things that you trust in the most are at your home on a tablecloth. They're fragile. They mean a lot to you. And yet someone walks over and pulls that tablecloth and all that you trusted in crashes to the floor. A troubled heart. Some of us just call it, I'm anxious, I'm jumpy. The disciples have had this immersive intimacy with Jesus for three years. They're in an upper room. He's the rabbi. They trust him. They become vulnerable to him and his power and his competence and the goodwill of him. And he said things like this in the upper room. One of you will betray me. And Judas slithers out the door. Peter's like, Jesus, let me tell you what I'm going to do for you. You're going to deny me. Their trust is shaking. Their hearts are troubled. Uncertainty. Things are starting to move out of place. And as we enter into this part of the story, I think three big things bother my heart, and I bet they bother yours. Number one, we don't like displacement. Number two, we don't like disorientation. You ever have that moment in your week where it's like, what's happening? And number three, we don't like disability. We don't want to feel powerless. We don't want to have a lack of control. It's hard to rest when you're scared, isn't it? Your faith, like theirs, gets punched in the gut. No security, no predictability. Your trust is in tatters, and Jesus is going to look them in the eye and say, your feelings are not the main moderator of your heart. It's my voice. And he says these words, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. How do we keep the footing of our faith from slipping when our hearts are troubled? The title today is simply this, Jesus untroubles the troubled heart. That is good news. Well, how does he do it, you say? Well, he prepares a place, he shows the way, and he promises power. The very things that we would want to untrouble the troubled heart. So number one, Jesus untroubles the troubled heart by preparing a place. In verse two, in my Father's house there are many rooms. If you have a Bible, please circle that word. It's a key word. There are many rooms. If it weren't so, would I not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Remember, we don't like feeling out of place. We don't like it when our things are out of place. What if you opened your dryer and your spouse or someone you know played a trick on you and put some eggs in your dryer? Like right out of the cart and just place three or four in there and you, wouldn't all of you go, this is out of place, like this is weird. And I hope you wouldn't start the thing. We don't like it when things are out of place. And let me address some of you that are, we, we tease you and call you OCD. You're the worst. 
Everything's got a place for you, and your hearts can become very untroubled. We love being localized. We love having a zip code. We don't like to be homeless. Now, I know that these cell phones that we all love, I know that they make our life easier, but I've been experiencing displacement with this thing. Have you? They permit me to be everywhere. You know, this morning I can check on the unit at the hospital and my unit can text me. It in some ways allows me to be everywhere, but when I'm there, I'm not here. So I try not to look at it during church. We love belonging. Just like our members, thank you, we love to be embedded in a story, a textured story, even if it has pain and you gotta love new people, we wanna be placed in a plot. Don't you love your home? Your home. You come to my home, I've got my chair. Do you have your chair? Your blanket? Oh, I have my pillows, and I know when I get the wrong one. Your mug? Your towel? The Father's house has many rooms. Now, let's be careful with the interpretation. A lot of you grew up with a translation called the King James Version, and you would say it this way, in my Father's house are many mansions, and you're like every American, whoo, Jesus the carpenter, I can't wait for the luxury of my mansion. Bring it on, Jesus. Once again, I ask you to circle that word rooms because Jesus the carpenter is not going off to build you a big house. Sorry. I know we want an extravagant estate that satisfies the paradise of pleasures of being an American, but this is not really what Jesus is promising. It's better. Abode. That's what the word means. It's a home someone actually lives in. So the word room is the word mone. It's a staying, resting, permanent place. Oh, it's so much better than a mansion. You might sell or it might break down on you. See, in that culture, the father would sacrifice his living and add rooms, mones, for his children and their wives to join his presence. Oh, it's a very different thing that Jesus is saying. This takes us back to the garden, by the way, this desire for place. By garden, I mean the Christian story. Do you know it? The Bible starts off with these really weird Hebrew words. It says everything was tohu va bohu. What does that mean? It means everything was formless and void. What if I told you, I want you to live the rest of your life on a vacant lot? the kind that's got the cracks and old, all you got on there are maybe some old carts from a shopping mall that's long been gone. Everything was formless and void. But then Jesus and the Father and the Spirit start to relate and they create light and they create animals and food and a garden and the presence of God and they don't make a house, they make a home, they make a garden. A family of loving lives mutually dwelling, no, indwelling one another. John 14, 23, Jesus says it like this. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love him. We'll come to him and make our abode with him, home, money. 
So we're going to stay with you, the permanent resting place. But it gets better. Look at verse 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. Now, some of you are saying, where is this place? Does place refer to heaven? Yes and no. Yes, because in part, this is a future promise. It will fill our restless heart with present peace to know that in the future there is a heaven. But no, there is a clue given, the word prepare. Jesus will die, that's the immediate reference, to make a place ready in advance. His death will give life. So the Father's house is referring to the temple of Jesus' body. That's the more immediate reference. And Jesus' body is the church, the indwelling place. To experience the permanent presence of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So Jesus untroubles the troubled heart by promising a place for the displaced. And some of you undervalue this good news of place because you underestimate the predicament of placelessness. Let's look at number two. Jesus untroubles the troubled heart by showing the way. Troubled means you get really confused. Have you ever lost your way? I'm preparing for a marathon. I've never done it. And a few weeks ago, it was 95 degrees. And my wife always tells me, don't go running in 95. And I'm like, I got my water. And I went out to run. And as I ran, I came across a young teenage boy who was just disoriented. And I said, are you okay? And he says, I kind of got ahead of my coach and I'm so thirsty. And I had it thinking to myself, I've only got enough water for me. But I decided I'll give him a sip he took my water and he drank the whole thing. <laughs> he took off like a bunny rabbit. And I'm like, I don't got any. I don't. So I start to jog on a path I'd been on over and over and over, and I lost my way. And I turned around and I jogged for about a mile and I lost my way again and I was confused. And I saw a reference point, like I've, dr- I've run by this multiple times and the reference point brought me back And of course, I got home and my wife's like, I told you not to run in 95. Have you ever lost your way where you get confused? Verse 4, Jesus tells his disciples, you know the way to where I'm going. Now, he's referring to what he's been telling them over and over again. I'm taking the road to the cross. And in verse 5, Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And let's listen to Thomas. The book of John is a great book of characters. Thomas keeps popping up over and over. He's confused. He's restless. Think of the seven dwarves. Thomas has his own unique way he lives. He's a doubter. You know, Peter always has his foot on the gas saying, let's go, let's go, let's go. But Thomas is always tapping the brakes going, wait, whoa, whoa, Jesus. You're telling us that we know the way. We don't know the way. We don't know where to go. I'm doubting you here. Thomas is that fence-sitter friend that you have, poking and prodding every time you say something. A doubter, though, and I feel for some of you that doubt. I go through this. 
A doubter like no other has a troubled heart. It gets jumpy with panic because it confuses easily. He's like, you want me to get somewhere? If I'm getting in this car, we're going to crash. I don't know where we're going. So he interrupts Jesus and admits he's lost the story. I don't know the purpose of this. I don't know the plot of this, Jesus. What do you mean we know the way? We don't know where we're going. If we don't know where, Jesus, how do we know the way? It's like all of us with a GPS. If I get in and I'm supposed to go somewhere and I don't know the destination, how can I take the way, the route? I need an address. I need a map. But Thomas's honest doubt when his trust was in tatters triggered what, the, what theologians have called the core statement in John's entire good news. I hope you circle it. Let's read it. Verse 6, Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, Jesus is just adding a bunch of ands, ands, ands. I'm the way and the truth and the life. Little grammar lesson. In Greek, they would use and to do something fancy. It's technically called, for some of you that love these things, the ep-exegetical and. Now, I don't say that to sound smart. I say that so that we understand the interpretation. Because some of you are have a Bible study this week and geek out about, wow, he's away. Oh, it's so cool how he's true. I'm so glad he's, he's the life. We need to interpret the scripture the way John wrote it. He uses this grammatical structure to give additional clauses to deepen the clarity of the first word. They would add this clause, if you were a Greek person, to the first word to explain the first word. Jesus is the way because he's the truth. Jesus is the way because he's the life. Truth and life are the supporting actors of the way. Or think of two spotlights on a dark road shining the way. He's the truth. When you meet Jesus, you have unveiled reality. He shows us the whole picture. He is the whole picture. Truth, by the way, does not assess Jesus. Jesus assesses what is true. And life, we've said this before, life is not existence. It's not a heartbeat. It's exploration. It's expansion. It's a quality of life. Now, maybe that exclusive claim of Jesus rubs you wrong. Because he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Sounds a bit presumptuous in our culture. A little excessively exclusive, Jesus. Well, I want you to think of this picture, which actually happened. It was an L.A. high-rise, and there was a person who needed out. Notice there is only one ladder. Is it good when a fireman shows up and says, I've come to be with you, and I am the way out? Take this ladder. It will give you security. It will give you life. See, sin is a word we often use, and we don't understand it. Sin is misdirection with our desires towards creation rather than the Creator. We turn away from God. And what does it confuse us? We turn to our desires. We start to identify ourselves with our desires, and boy, does it confuse us, and boy, do we have a confused world. 
God sends his son down from heaven. Jesus calls himself the truth and the life over and over and over and over and over and over in this book. But the only time he calls himself the way is here. Way. Let's dive into this word. It's so cool. It's the word hodos. It means a physical road. It's a route. It will get you somewhere. Did you know it's derived from our word method? So hodos, methodos. Some of you are very methodical. What does that mean? A method is an organized order that will help you reach a destination. I know Christianity has all these parts, but I want you to think of a puzzle ball. One of my professors said, Christianity is hard to really feel like it's the way, but if you think of a puzzle ball, some pieces are T-shaped, others are H-shaped, others are bizarre, but if you put together a puzzle ball in a specific order, in precisely the right way, you will get a sphere. It'll come together. When you consider the individual distinctive teachings of Christianity in isolation, they can be confusing, but when you bring them together like this, God is a good creator. Mankind turned on God and committed cosmic treason, but God became a human being to die for his enemies, and he resurrected, making a new and living way. Put them together, and you become unconfused. But don't forget the destination. The destination, when you trust the way, is the Father. Direction is not so much getting you somewhere, it's getting you to someone. Philip now interrupts Jesus. Okay, the Father's the destination, verse 8. Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. And Jesus asks Philip a series of three questions. Remember, Jesus is going to get crucified very soon. And he's still engaged to question those that that he's trying to teach. He will give three questions to Philip and give him a command. Verse 9, Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? In the beginning of John's gospel, he says the Son has known the Father for eternity. Wouldn't it be wise to go to Jesus to know the Father? Verse 10, second question, Philip. Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? And then verse 11, he gives a command. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Let me declare to you something that is at the center of everything that we miss. At the center of all reality, there resides and has always resided a relationship that has existed as three persons united in love. A father and a son so alive that it, no, he too is a breathing, a spirit, a person. So let's get our bearings. They are troubled. You got deniers and betrayers and where are you going? And Jesus untroubles the troubled hearts by actually saying, I'm going to prepare a place, an abode, a permanent staying spot for us And I'm going to show you the way, not a way, the way. But thirdly, Jesus untroubles the troubled heart by promising power. Let this speak to some of you who feel that you cannot make things happen in life. You are just, things are futile. Your job, your marriage, 
your neighborhood, your body, you have lost control and you're like, I'd like to hear a good word about power. Jesus doubles it up here by saying, truly, truly. Let's see what he says in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and, oh, circle this. It's astounding. Greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Wait a minute. Power to do greater works than you, Jesus? What are these greater works? And how can we perform them? Now, what are they? They're not miracles. You're not going to go out today and turn water into wine. Jesus is God in the flesh. Only Jesus is God. Jesus created every molecule and controls every millisecond. That's not what you're going to get. The greater works are announcing and applying the benefit of the greatest work of what Christ did in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, in the fact that he now reigns as king of the universe. Greater works are the extensive spread of the good news to all nations. Do you know that Peter will go out? Peter, the denier! And he'll tell the story of Jesus and 3,000 people. We saw five people today join the church. Peter goes out, announces the greater work of Christ, and 3,000 people show up. I love an old Baptist named Spurgeon. In his life, 20,000 people said, I am taking the way. I know we're in a period of a great de-churching and people are going, I don't want the commitment. I can't do it. But people are coming back. And you, all of you out there, can do the greater work of announcing your allegiance to Jesus Christ and what Christ has done. The greater work. Well, how? Will we get this power? How are we going to do it? Jesus says, because, circle that word, I'm going to the Father. What does that mean? I'm going to the Father. Jesus' going is going to alter the structures of reality. Jesus will die on a cross and defeat death. Jesus will be shamed so that you who believe in Jesus will never be shamed. You will live eternally with honor. When Jesus died, sin lost its stranglehold on sinners. Death lost its grip on sinners. This is good news. Evil became destabilized. Evil became restless when he was on that cross. The life of Jesus was handed over to death but death would be dealt a final blow. He would resurrect. He would ascend. That sequence of historical events altered reality, and all is different now. There's a new reality. The power of the kingdom is let loose through us, the church, into the world, but there's more. There is more than just a new reality. Jesus says, now you have new resources. How will you plug into this power? Trust and ask. Trust. Truly, truly, whenever John has Jesus say one of these, there's a new powerful insight. Truly, truly, whoever believes in me will also do. Well, first we have to believe. Jesus already said back in John 7, take a look at that later today, that if you believe in him out of your heart will flow rivers 
of living water. This he said about the Spirit. Jesus does not promise you help, all of us that get very, very scared and troubled when we want power. He does not promise you help. He promises you a helper, the Holy Spirit. And let me say this slowly, and I hope you believe this. Because the Spirit is in us, everything He is, is in us. I want to say it again. Because the Spirit is in us, everything He is, is in us. This is good news. The Spirit can make you love when you don't have the power to love that person. The Spirit can give you joy when you're depressed. The Spirit can give you peace when your circumstances are like that dude in the Maui fire where it's like, I was trying to get away from the fire and the water was all raging and there were embers above and there was a fire below. You can be in the middle of that this week and experience the joy of the Father loving you, the Son right there with you, the Spirit in you. Oh, grow this. Out of your filling as a river, you're not a reservoir, rivers of living water will flow out of you. You'll share, you'll splash in that water, you'll clean, you'll fill. Greater works, Jesus is promising it. But he says, trust and ask. I have to make a confession. I know this stuff and it fires me up, but I often don't ask. Trust and ask. Worry, which is what I do, is a facade for action. Verse 13, and whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That little grammatical coordinating conjunction and tells you that what follows is directly related and on equal footing with what was preceded. Related to the greater works of gospel expansion, I will do whatever you ask. It's got to relate to gospel expansion. I will do whatever you ask. Some Christians get all excited about, I can ask Jesus for anything, but imagine a blank check. Jesus is not going, blank check, everybody. Tell me what you want. Reminds me of a college student. Imagine all my kids went off to college. Imagine if one of them, you know, I sent them off to college and I said to them, in respect to your earning your degree, I will provide you what you ask for. But the kid calls back two weeks later and says, dad, I need some more money for some extra pizza. Dad, I got to get ski boots because I'm up in Boone. Dad, I want to get a car that's not an old clunker. I like it to be a little fancy. Come on, dad. No. But if the child asks, dad, I need a book that I didn't realize I needed. Can I use your credit card with your name to further the goals of the education that I know you want me to get so I can glorify God? My boy or my girl is going to get that book. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. And I have to confess to all of you, I rarely pray, saying, God, I need, I need I get stuck in worry. I know all this about altered structures of reality. I don't ask. What stops us from asking in his name? Ask Jesus in his name for anything. 
He promises power. He has all authority. We are his authorized agents. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So how's your heart doing today? How's your heart doing today? Has it been troubled? Do you believe he prepares a place for you? Do you believe he's a way to that place? Do you believe that he provides power? It'll come down to who you know and who you trust. You have to be in him. I want to end with a story. Imagine that you get to know me, and we get into a really good relationship. And I tell you, after I find out that you got a new job in Monroe, and you tell me that your car isn't the greatest, and your phone keeps not working well, I'm like, hey, you know me. My mom and dad live in Monroe. And if you ever have any problems, my mom, oh, if you met mom and dad, Mom likes to cook food. Dad likes to talk. Mom and dad will love on you. Well, if he's driving home from work and he doesn't know Monroe and the car breaks down and he picks up his phone and he forgot to, make, forgot to charge it and it's glitching, but he goes, wait a minute, Howard told me where they live. I know the way. Walks over, knocks on dad's door, and dad opens the door and says, I don't know you. All that person would have to say is, I know your boy, and he's told me the way to your place. Well, come on in. Me, my dad, and mom, they've never met a stranger. But knowing that that individual knows me, is in a relationship with me, my dad and mom say, let's charge your phone. Use our power. Sit down and eat. Stay a while. Your car is broken. We'll help you figure that out. It's okay. Stay. Let's get to know you because you know our son. Jesus gave three truths to untrouble your troubled hearts. And there are many rooms. There's room for more. Turn around. Follow me, says Jesus. I'm the way home your true home, and you are welcome to come all the way in. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, I'm convicted. I'm so thankful that John wrote these words down. These really happened. I'm so thankful, Lord. Lord, untrouble our hearts with this good news today. Lord, wake us up to be a praying people and start with me. Father, I want to come to your throne so often through the sun that you're like, are you here again? Really? Father, I want to start asking for things on that check where your son's name is there. Reality has been altered and the greater works are happening. Give us the faith to see this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.